<laughs> I just ain't randed you. <laughs> in that I tuned out about a third of the way through? Sure. Much, much like most Ayn Rand material. <laughs> Scott for the underline. <laughs> so, on the inevitable Ayn Rand note, this is, uh, this is uh, our, our second Delta Green panel of the day. Of the day. And uh, we're, we're, we are here to talk about primarily... Uh, running the game and and creating and running scenarios for the game and so uh, I don't know tips tricks whatever we can whatever we can offer that's valuable and and useful to uh, to help make your Delta Green games um, more <coughs> more uh, awesome and hilarious for you and terrifying and depressing for your players. Mm. I don't know if I'd say depressing so much as tragic. But fine, Jesus. So uh, trying to represent, That's yeah, pedantic. All right. So, so this is this is uh, Adam Scott Glancy on the far left, uh, creator of, of Delta Green, co-creator, sorry, of uh, of Delta Sorting Green his itself. Sorting M&Ms with OCB like precision. <laughs> yep. That's exactly right. They're sorted. Now can't, he's got to line them up. They can't touch if they're different colors, much like the races. <laughs> this is. This is uh, Greg Stolze. Right here, cackling. Far like less likely to make that kind of a joke. <laughs> cackling. Oh, I'll not laugh at it, though. Yeah. 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 <laughs> he'll, he'll, He's not stupid. <laughs> he'll, he'll laugh if somebody else takes the risk. Uh, I'm Shane Ivey, and this is Kenneth Height. And, uh, and we... No, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm really, really tired, so just that disclaimer. He's also Shane Ivey. If we go off the rails, then... It's on these guys to uh, to, to catch things. Um, all uh, right. Yeah. No. Just uh, no. Just, just uh, yeah. All right. Uh-huh. We go off the rails. Enjoy the explosion. Yeah. Yeah. This has been the first lesson of how to run Delta Green. Right. <laughs> right. Um, okay. So uh, I guess preliminary remarks that uh, that that I wanted to just address to get everybody on the same page initially. Uh, that that a lot of you probably intuit because if you're here. You're most likely kind of the alpha Delta Green gamers, and so you sort of you probably read a lot of the material. Way already. to suck up! That was excellent. And thank you, thank you. I was working on that line all day, and um, that's because you're an Omega. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping for Beta, but <laughs> <laughs> that's what Omega's up for. <laughs> gamma is good. It's good to be Gamma. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, um, yeah, I, w- I-, I won two awards. <laughs> <laughs> and that's great. It's good. It's very good. I felt that's good about good. my two awards. <laughs> I feel good about your two awards, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the, uh, Especially because one of them's mine. <laughs> um, so, uh, so, so Delta Green Scenarios... The you know one thing that I think is useful if you're new to creating scenarios for Delta Green is you you can kind of see the way that the ones that are published have a fairly similar kind of structure. Um, you've got the the introduction to the weirdness, something that's really spooky and, and horrible, um, and then sort of investigative phase where the player characters have the luxury of poking around and keeping secrets. And what is it? I don't know. It's oozing. Let's pick at it. Yeah. And, um, and eventually, 
sooner or later, later if the players do a really good job and sooner if they don't, um, things kick into crisis mode. And, we shouldn't have picked at it. Yeah, and the, the dice start to matter a lot more. Um, and ideally, everything falls completely apart and leads to a, just a huge catastrophe, and it all ends in bloodshed Building and tears. Building to a rumbling crescendo, one might To a rumbling, <laughs> yes. Like, like onto a train, rolling by and going off and the rails. And you can't get out of the way. Yeah. And then the denouement in which everyone says, we must never speak of this again. Yeah. So, um... Because we are dead. <laughs> the survivors say that. Okay. Yeah. And sometimes the guys who didn't survive it say that as well. And that's a whole new round of, you know, character <coughs> shooting characters. But, moving uh, right along. I don't want to alarm you, uh, ASL, but... You remember Agent John who died when his head got, you know, compressed? I keep getting letters and phone calls from him, and it's clearly him. He Skyped in yesterday, and I didn't like it. I'm wondering what I should do. Offer him a nice cold glass of turpentine. I believe mm-hmm. that was what was recommended back by Sandy Peterson. <laughs> How to sniff out who the who the doppelganger is. If he drinks the turpentine, you know to shoot him. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the the that structure, the kind of introduction, the investigation, and then the inevitable sort of crisis and, and catastrophe is is it, it keeps recurring because it's kind of uh, it's 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 useful and it and it, and in its way it. Uh, was it uh, stealing Cthulhu? Didn't you guys like graph out the kind of comparing the narrative arc of Lovecraft stories versus some other traditional stories? And uh, yeah, I think uh, uh, that may have been Jason Morningstar. That yeah, that in the in the footnotes. I thought that was interesting. So he kind of, if I remember right, he said there was a lot of stories where it's more a little like you know steps and steps and steps, and Lovecrafts were sort of a slow burn, and then whoa, ramping way up into terror at the very end. So linear function versus. Yeah, yeah, job. it's sort of a slow burn, and then, and so uh, you know, and and uh, and that's and that's a little how a lot of Delta Green operations tend to work, where there's something that eventually is going to happen to sort of kick everything into high gear and and up into the into into the into catastrophe, and along the way, it's kind of up to the players to try to keep things keep things uh, uh, keep things low and and under control. Um, and that that's great because it has its own tension. You know, if you as a game master, it's your job to make sure they feel the uh, the challenge of doing that, and they're aware intuitively that it's going to get worse for them if they don't keep things really, really quiet. So even the very fact of of the action not really going into high gear itself is has its own suspense. Oh, uh, can I hop in here? No. Okay. No, please. Keep, keep talking till you pass out. Please, please. <laughs> I'm not sleepy. I have uh, Coke Zero. That's not going to make you any less sleepy. It's just going to make you insomniac. Um, <clears throat> what I'll add is uh, you've all gotten the advice by now that you know you can't set something up where it's like, oh, if they don't make this roll, then you hit the brick wall. Yeah. You're not. You're not doing that. You know, someone that someone figured out. Well, no, we now have a cure for pixel pitching. You, you, if if they need that information to proceed, you just hand it to them with a shovel. Um, Thank you, and, Robin. Yeah, and some ways to do this are to have a bunch of different avenues to get at it. Um, or the way I've been doing it is. Uh, 
I, I view it as, you know, this is your fate. You can either check out of the investigation altogether and, you know, be a giant coward and not have any game, or, it, you know, if, if you're involved with this at all, with your, you know, idea that mythos knowledge is like a, uh, a radioactive contagion, it's like, if you're involved with it at all, you are doomed to have the final encounter. The guy who goes to Innsmouth in the shadow over Innsmouth, it's his fate to find out about Innsmouth. Uh, you know, it's the fate of uh, the, the Professor Armitage to see the Dunwich Horror. And so I take the approach that, okay, every role should have the possibility to help the character, but hopefully there's also something you can really stick them with if they, if they hit the fumble. But on a simple fail, it still pushes them closer to the final confrontation. Because, honest to God, what, is, what could be a worse form of failure than, oh yeah, I'm getting closer to that Shoggoth, Mygo, whatever the hell it is, without learning anything or being in any way prepared. Whereas if you succeed, you get closer but you at least have some idea what's going on or how you could yeah. possibly <clears throat> protect yourself. Yeah, maybe you know that there's a difference between a Migo and a Shoggoth on your way in. Yeah, you know? it's like, okay. That might be pertinent before you kick in the door of the barn, you know. A Delta Green Adventure is like uh, parachuting. And if you succeed at your role, you packed your parachute. And if you failed at your role... You didn't pack your parachute. You're one still, th- you still get out of the airplane. One way or the other, you're going to touch down on the ground. <laughs> it's a question just of angular momentum. Yeah, there, there, are, there are a lot of ways to kind of go at it. I mean, I think the, the common, the common thing is, is if you've gone to the trouble as a as game master, of especially creating your own scenarios, mm-hmm. of coming up with this really creepy climactic encounter at the a revelation at the end you kind of want the players to get there one way or another right so um it's going to be more fun if you can if you can make sure that they get there well lead the, them along to the it other some thing way. is that even if they don't get to the old barn mm-hmm. the next encounter is at the farmhouse when the thing in the barn grew too big for the barn and mm-hmm. went to the farmhouse and if they weren't at the farmhouse the next encounter is at the stop and rob at the Crossroads on the way to the farmhouse. I was going to suggest the and the next encounter <laughs> is in Frankfort, Kentucky. Yeah, <laughs> or rather, is Frankfort, Kentucky. Yeah. So there's a number of things. I mean, the thing about a Delta Green encounter is it's not like Color Out of Space, where it kills a farm family, but then it leaves mostly. You're like, good. That was easy. <laughs> the garbage took out itself. <laughs> That's convenient. Uh-huh. And they say there's something at the bottom of the well that glows. Well, we'll come back tomorrow and fill the well full of Portland cement the end. No, encounters in Delta Green have to have, uh, at the moment of climax, further danger. Because you are stopping an ongoing crisis as the agents. You're not the cosmic tourists of half of Lovecraft uh, protagonists, where... There's Migo up in the hills of Vermont, but, you know, as long as you don't pester them, they don't do much to you. It's all that writing of letters and sending away for your black stones that causes them to take your brain up to the to the sky. Newfangled audio recording. But if you didn't pester them, they'd just stay up in the hollow hills. In Delta Green... Mining. The, whatever is happening is happening on a schedule that is not that of humanity. 
and a problem that Delta Green investigators are investigating should never be solved by, guess we didn't solve it. Otherwise, I mean, you could do that if you can get a Knights gaming out of a creepy thing they've never understood, mm-hmm. but then it's really not an entire scenario. Well, it's you, just you, a, you a need vignette. to you need to set the stakes pretty you know up front. You know, as as a game master, you need to you need to get a sense of if the agents just pack up and go home. Here's how it's going to be so very much worse for everybody. And, uh, and and not just that uh, yeah. Alphonse calls them in on the carpet and says, yeah. "What are you doing backing up and going home? <laughs> right. I don't think you're Delta Green material. Maybe you should go out back to the federal bureaucracy with its regular day job and benefits." Uh-huh. Hold on, that sounded better in my head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so a, a, a one a couple of just. I don't know, random tips, things that, that I think are useful and, and um, I want to encourage my fellow panelists to elaborate on or, or add their own things. Um, one, number one, and this we sort of baked into the rules, is as a game master, you need to, as the handler, let's say, um, you want to regard every, every resource that the player's characters bring to the table as a source of vulnerability. Right, every strength that an agent has is a way for you to get at that agent. In in uh, you know, in, 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 in an additional way for you to get her to get at that agent. And obviously, like, my agent's really well armed. Wow, you know, people pay a lot of attention to people who are wandering around with gigantic quantities of guns. Oh, but it's okay because I have a license for this because I'm a police officer. Oh, you know what local police officers are always interested in. Other police officers. <laughs> what you doing here? Mm-hmm. Why don't you let me? I can, how can I be helpful? What to are you, you doing? What are you doing on our patch? Doing an operation without telling us? Right. Um, I'm just on vacation with so. this M4 carbine. <laughs> Come out to the coast. <laughs> don't you Don't you judge us. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> So in the in in in, in the game, uh, characters' bonds are sort of the obvious example, yes. right? Because they're this source of strength that can protect your sanity, but they're also characters in the game that are uh, you know are, are your or uh, your your potentially your 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 way of demonstrating the harm that the agent is undergoing, and if the agents are careless, then. You can have great fun bringing them in and uh, putting them at risk more more directly, whether it's because your agent screwed up and revealed something personal about himself or herself to the wrong people or just has left enough traces that loved ones being loved ones poke around to see what they can do to help. My, wa- my wife thought I had a second family. She was so sad when she found out the truth. Yeah. Well, it was a second family, a family of ghouls. <laughs> um, I'm fairly certain that my wife had two legs when she went to work this morning. Oh. What's, I, I, perhaps she's seeing another man. That must be the answer. But, I've been uh, a sectionist. You know, um, even a German the the time that the care, that the players have available to them, right? That need you need to make sure as a game master that you're that you're paying attention to that asset, that resource, and how limited it is. And I mean, player players tend to um, around the table they uh, they have a tendency to kind of spout off all kinds of things that their characters are doing. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. 
um, things that in the real world tend to take hours and hours or days to accomplish. And so uh, if you make sure that the time that's there, the timeline that they're on, you're, uh, you're kind of using that to tighten the screws. Um, well, yeah, that, quit- as I was rereading, you know, the bonds and, and motivation section, I'm like, the bonds are really like their own little in-game economy, only instead of spending gold pieces, you're spending the love of your family mm-hmm. in order to get stuff for your character. Or alternately, you're making things harder for your character in order to, you know, keep your keep your hooks into your family. Don't leave me, baby. I can change. I'm going <laughs> to yeah. stop drinking and shooting deep ones. <laughs> um, yeah, so the equipment rules, right? And we, we very deliberately got away from trying to assign dollar prices to everything in the in the giant equipment chapter and encouraging people to go on shopping expeditions um, and abstracted that into a sort of, uh, I don't know how to put it, but a narrative challenge, a way to kind of bring out what's really going on and what's really at stake, which is not, not necessarily if you have $10,000 in your bank account or $5,000 in your bank account, but what the impact is on your character's life. And so yeah, what's at like, stake ultimately kind of comes back down to bonds when you get right down to it, which is if you're burning if you're burning so much money left and right or if you're taking terrible risks in order to get equipment that you're not supposed to have honey, or if you're abusing your position to get equipment, yeah. then what it's going to come back to you personally. Fund? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you really want to know the answer to that? Do you have a gambling problem? Yeah. <laughs> yes, I am. Well, yeah, that Let's go like with that. Problem. Yeah. yeah. Do you have a gambling problem? Yeah. That's why I bet my leg to that man. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> it's a real bad problem, but I think this has brought us closer together. Yep. Um, and communication. So I, I, like I was talking about in the panel earlier this afternoon, um, we have ubiquitous communications between each other in most places, except for, of course, convention centers. Yeah, say, for instance, you're having, you're, you're trying to call for help from inside the inside Gen room. Con, right? Yeah. Okay, but uh, but but uh, yeah, Delta Green agents, especially, uh, have every excuse to have all kinds of communications devices on them at all times, which sounds really is. useful and sounds like, oh well, golly, they can always be there to help each other. I'll just call, I'll just phone a friend. Yeah. So make sure that that is another source of vulnerability. It's another asset that can come back to actually hurt the players um, in all kinds of ways for communication. Wait, and wait, obviously, wait. if they're communicating with other people, they're spreading the they're spreading the disease. And also, um, you know, they, it's it's, it's, it's a trace to be followed. Yeah, it's all kinds of security. security. It's too. yeah, exactly. Did so you actually call things. him on an unsecured phone yeah. to ask about disposing of a dead body? Well, um, at three in the morning? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> he never called it a dead body. He called it meatloaf. That's, that's totally secure. <laughs> I'm sure that's going to go right past the NSA. Well, right. and at least in some cases, you don't have to worry about the NSA, but we are working on opposition that you probably don't want listening in. Mm-hmm. So that's always a factor. Um, rather than, I don't know, rather than give tips, and maybe, Ken, you'd like to give a tip that you think is important in game action, but I would rather just hear what people's 
questions or our concerns or what are the challenges that they yeah. they see rather than me telling you what your challenges are. Sure. Um, I know what my challenges are when I'm gaming, but this isn't this isn't for making me a better game master or, or making you more comfortable with being uh, the uh, the handler. Uh, I'm more interested in knowing what what's out <clears> here. <throat> mm -hmm. What are your challenges that you face or you feel you've got? The, the problem I've had before is trying to make a, make an adventure that's not just that's harder for me. Um, I got to tell you. Uh, <laughs> Uh, trying to pare down the, the, the adventures I would create or write for publication or for my own group uh, don't look anything like the stuff I, I bring to the cons, generally speaking. Um, uh, they're just too long. They're, they're eight hours. You know, They're two nights um, or, or more. Um, ridiculously, years ago, I ran U-Boat Harouse that you were in, which was 11 hours of gaming over two days at Gen Con, which is just ridiculous. Um, that should never happen. Con games are a, a kind of a different animal. Con games become literally almost encounters rather than... It's easier to write an encounter or a survival horror style situation <coughs> where you just spring a, a, a landmine on a group of people to deal with the consequences. Um, that, um. That's almost easier than doing a, a four-hour investigation with a resolution at the end. I don't know. That's that's what I kind of aim for with control group is to have each adventure be its own little little pill that you swallow. Yes, but in control group, each one of them was a way to demonstrate a different part of the game system rather than trying to do all of them at once. Yeah, but it also but each also had to stand on its own as a, you know as an adventure. Uh, some things that I found that were useful for that is, you know, some kind of a bubble, right? Some kind of restriction around yes. them. On a space shuttle. On a space shuttle. Boom. Okay. Now there's a lot. You've got things to worry about. Space can kill you a whole bunch of ways. But you don't have to worry that they're going to squirrel and head off down to the 7-Eleven when you really need them to stay in place. Yeah. Um, a, a closed room scenario really works very nicely. You could probably do something with a social bubble too, right? I'm thinking of Delta Green agents are constrained by a sense of responsibility. You know, it's your job to keep people safe or, you know, whatever your specific remit is. The general thing is you're responsible for taking care of the people around you. In Delta Green specifically, you're, in, you're responsible for protecting people from this unknowable awfulness. Um, so that, that pulls them in, but you can reinforce that. You could have, uh, I bet you could have a lot of fun if you could contrive to have, uh, you know, a group of characters culturally isolated, just that they don't speak the language at all. You are stuck in this place, something horrible is happening, something horrible is coming to you, and when the natives try to tell you what's going on, all you hear is blah, 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 blah. There's a little bit of that in one of the control group scenarios where, you know, they're in Afghanistan, they've got a couple NPC translators with them, but only one of these guys speaks any Farsi. Uh, I would also like to speak to, um, <clears throat> can we speak to Star Chamber on this? Sure. <coughs> Star Chamber uh, is uh, as yet unpublished um, Delta Green scenario. It, it's Spalzi. out in PDF now. Hmm? It's out it's in PDF, PDF now. now. Okay. Where, uh, you know, again... It is, it's another, it's essentially, it's a closed room scenario. It is, you're in a debriefing facility, and you do not leave it. And there, you're just sitting in chairs across from the guys who are being debriefed, 
and then you play out the flashbacks. But the flashbacks constrain the action so that they can't nip off to the 7-Eleven or go off, you know, go off script because the flashbacks are, you know... Game over, man. I'm getting out of Myanmar right now. Here's what we already know happened. Now play out the details. Yeah, and it's stuff like, well, we know this is where... uh, What was his name? Pete. This is where Pete died. And so if you're playing Pete, you know, okay... (laughs) In this next, this next part is the ambush that kills you, which is pretty fun. Uh, but it, it's, it was a very ambitious project. But yeah, it does, you're constrained. The people in the present day are constrained because they are being essentially held prisoner and put on trial. And the people in the flashback are constrained by the fact that this is a fait accompli that is being described. Um, but it's, but it's an unreliable. But it's, sections of it are with unreliable narrators. So it's like, okay, now you're going to act out this guy's version of events, and in his story, you suck. You are just hysterically panicking all the time, and this guy over here is a crazy murderous racist. But and then you get the next scene. But he's James Bond. Yeah. You but know, I, his version, he's James Bond the whole time. Yeah. Um, you know, this the flashback thing reminds me of. Um, uh, I ran a, uh, a game at Gen Con last year, I think, called uh, I, uh, Iconoclasts, where you played uh, you played these Al Qaeda and no, all these ISIS losers, these foreign fighters who are in uh, in in northern Iraq and Mosul who've been sent off on a sort of a propaganda junket to uh, to uh, uh, film some stuff for uh, the Islamic State and. Uh, as part of their program of smashing artifacts, um, they smash the wrong artifact. I remember anyone who's read that or heard that on, on RPPR. That scenario isn't really a scenario. That scenario, um, repeat question for Mike. Uh, the question was, how do we get something down to a four-hour... Okay. I was... I'm, sorry, I was speaking more to the, to the, to the four-hour time period. Yeah, yeah. But um, I but was going to say that that scenario is not a scenario. It's it's a handout. That that scenario is the thing that I would give with pre-generated characters to a bunch of Delta Green players. They'd play it out, and then I'd come back and say, "Okay, that's what you saw on the videotape as the found footage when they died holding their video camera that they were supposed to be filming. I don't know whatever ISIL atrocity they were up to that week, but instead, you know, oops, jumping jacks and beheadings. Yeah, uh, the way so- to cut something down to a four-hour time slot is to begin as close to in medias res as you can. Begin as close to the moment of confrontation, because what everyone's signed up for in a con event is to play the confrontation, not the investigation. Hmm. Yeah. So you take them as close to it as you possibly can. Uh, you know, you begin the ISIL guy as he's driving the bulldozer through the ruin. You don't have to yep. set up the rest of it. If you begin, you know, you're on the you're on the spaceship, you're on the spaceship, and things are starting to go boom, 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 boom. Does the spaceship normally go bunk bunk? No, you don't think so. You've been an astronaut this year. Thirty-seven missions. Never heard, never heard bunk bunk in orbit. Um, in orbit, anyway. I mean, obviously, you hear it when there's some sort of uh, magnetospheric effect when you go back through the Earth's atmosphere. So, unless there's like a really powerful magnetospheric. Uh, manifestation probably wouldn't make that noise. Then you're going, um, and so that's just the trick for con games because con games. That's why people sign up in a no- in a normal game in your home game. You want the thrill of the investigation as well. Yes, but you can't guarantee it not going off the rails. You can't guarantee people finding stuff. 
you um, uh, you, you need to just you have through. you have the luxury of adjusting at home. Right. What what do you think about about uh, Call of Cthulhu adventure design versus Delta Green specific adventure design? Um, there's a couple of things that are different. I mean, the one thing is that, like I was saying, Delta Green is about stopping a problem. It's about curing a situation. It's about protecting the homeland. It's not the sort of cosmic tourism that a lot of Call of Cthulhu adventures are. It, it begins with presumptions of both competence and secrecy, which Call of Cthulhu adventures don't necessarily begin with. That presumption of competence and secrecy mean that you can presume a worse manifestation. Rather than it's one deep one that's running around in a basement and interrupting the, you know, the, the plans of these robbers. Ha <laughs> ha! Oh, back to you, Jen. It's, um, uh, you know, the deep ones are building some sort of um, uh, 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 hydra out of the bodies of their um, uh, fallen friends uh, because they've been struck down by some sort of radiation that they've pulled up off the bottom of the ocean. So there's four or five horrible things going on because, hey, you're competent and there's five of you. Yeah. <laughs> so... You are able to turn it up a notch to a degree that most Call of Cthulhu adventures can't because they'd then be just total party walkovers. And the final thing that's different from a Delta Green adventure to a Call of Cthulhu also adventure... Also, you're also presuming not just competence in, in their normal job, they're competent in the idea that they're about to face the supernatural. Right, yeah, they know... They're going in somewhat forewarned. Right. right. And, so the, and then the final big difference, and obviously there are edge cases on any of this stuff, but the final big difference is... That in a uh, Delta Green adventure, there is a sense of implacable meaninglessness, I think, at its best, that there is not in Call of Cthulhu. Call of Cthulhu maintains that Charles Dexter Ward, Dunwich Horror atmosphere of, of heroism, that maybe if you do it just right, little apples will grow in the garden of the shunned house. Maybe if you fix everything up, there won't be any more hooting heard down at Sentinel Hill. But in Delta Green... Even if you've fixed the problem, you know that you just put a couple of staples in the big tear in reality. Well, we dumped off arms to that Syrian rebel group. I guess that's fixed Syria. That should be your attitude as a Delta Green handler because you are the government trying to solve an impossible problem. And I'm fairly sure that we all know we've seen that movie. Literally, it was called Apocalypse Now. We did see that movie. There's no way... There, and so even if in character, the, play, the characters have to believe that they're making a difference. Mm -hmm. You as the player should know, and absolutely you as the handler should know, they're not making a difference. They're just extending the lifespan of maybe just of Delta Green, one hopes of the United States of America, by a couple of months. And then that couple of months is great because that's an infinity of victories for 350 million people, but it's not the same... Heroic quality. You're, you're, you're going you're to go home knowing had. you saved the world, mm -hmm. and it'll all be okay. This week. Right. You know, um, uh, I, I, I think that the best Delta Green scenarios take on the cosmic indifference of John Tynes, uh, the poisonous uh, nihilism of Dennis Detwiller, the, uh, the the crushing despair of Greg Stolze, <laughs> and the thrill to violence and shouting of Scott Glancy. And I think if you can take all of that. And that's the soup that is Delta Green. Shouting, and shouting, shouting. Shouting, ever shouting, shouting twirling, ever, sh ever twirling. <laughs> ever shouting to infinity. Right. And so I would say um, uh, some, sort of, some sort of flautist, I would guess, is what that is. Um, so that's what you need the, is that, is that special Delta Green flavor. Because if you ever turn that dial off, 
suddenly it's just, yay, we have machine guns, ba 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 ba, take that, deep ones. Mm-hmm. And while that is viscerally fun, it is not the flavor of Delta Green. It's not tragic. Right. And so that, I think, is the biggest difference. Now, again, there are plenty of Call of Cthulhu episodes, uh, episode, uh, scenarios that are about despair. We're, we're hoping are, for a franchise. There, yeah. Everyone here has played Delta Green in the um, uh, suck it, Innsmouth. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's see how you take some top of the line 1927 Mach 3 torpedoes, smart guy. <laughs> <laughs> That's very Pepperidge Farms. <laughs> That's right. That's New England. I didn't, realize, I didn't realize the guy from Pepperidge Farms was firing the torpedoes. Well, it was a uh, savage uh, war of brother against brother. Okay. <laughs> Delta, Delta Green knows. Delta Green remembers. Delta Green remembers and drinks to forget. <laughs> yeah, so I would... I would, I would um, Hit uh, the sort of the, the 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 level of danger and threat and the tone are the two biggest differences. And again, Call of Cthulhu is such a giant, sprawling wonder bar of yeah. universe mm. that every you know there's tons of ex- of exemptions that people could think of. They've hit all including of obviously the early Delta Green scenarios, right. which were Call of Cthulhu adventures. Yeah. Yep. But we're trying to you know establish uh, uh, what, you know, what makes up it here, this specific what makes it thing. this flavor of it right. And in your tabletop group, or at, at a convention especially, you want them to say, well, that was not just a day at the, at the old monolith. That was a really horrible thing, and I don't like anyone, including myself. And then... But I want to do it again tomorrow. That's right. I got to do it again tomorrow because because this time it's going to pay off. Because because as Greg Stolze says, if you just keep picking at it, (laughs) surely the oozing will stop. You guys are going to make this sound like some sort of emotional Ponzi scheme where we just keep fooling. (laughs) Did you you, more punishment? Not off during the entire product line. (laughs) I guess so. Oh. Scott is like, but I wrote the thing where there's a big payoff, and you do end the oh, dang it! Are you never publishing that, Shane? I guess we're not publishing that. I published this thing where they, he let them have attack nuke. Yes, for all the good it did them. Then, exactly. I mean, talk about wubbies. I mean, that's the whole point of guns in this thing is you yeah. know, go in the cave. No, here's a machine gun. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> take this cave. And, you know. <laughs> You know, and, uh, darkness. <laughs> you know, this time it was you know, go take a you know, go what, go to the missile silo. No, here's attack nuke. Okay, <laughs> I feel so much better. Well, now. I mean, what's scarier, a monster like you can't Linus kill with a stick, or a monster you can't kill with an RPG? <laughs> yeah. Well, exactly. What do you think? Next question. Um, so. One of the problems I've kind of run into is not necessarily designing uh, like opposition on a scenario level, but on a campaign level. And maybe this is just because the you know, canon opposition book doesn't come out yet, but uh, it's really hard to not make something that is smart enough and competent enough as an enemy that it is a challenge without also just being so stupidly overpowered that it would just win anyway. Uh, it, it's very difficult to make reactive, interesting, uh, enemies that aren't just going to kill anything that comes in contact with them because they're just that good at what they do. Yeah. Well, does that make sense? Like, okay. Yeah, well, so he's asking about, um, about creating long-term adversaries that remain challenging long-term without being too easy for the players to steamroll over or without being so powerful that they just you know that the that they steamroll over, over the player characters right so yeah. yeah yeah i mean yeah i think there's a lot of there's a lot of, an- of of answers to that which i'm sure we'll all share with you but um nope that was it 
<laughs> Next question. That's, uh, that's tough. Um, so so um, I, I, what I want to suggest, first of all, is you can kind of flip the mirror or whatever. Use, the, use a mirror and look at Delta Green itself as an organization in all the ways that it's competent and effective and all the ways that it's flawed, right? And kind of reverse engineer, in a sense, the fact that, that yes, it's, it's got people that are really really good at what they do but they're individually also very vulnerable right as an organization it tends to it tends to inculcate a lot of organizational loyalty in its people because they feel like they're doing something necessary and important and valuable um but at the same time Only it's really secretive and people murderous sociopath yeah and um and so it's got a lot of weaknesses and a lot of strengths, and another at the same time, could have been right? So, <laughs> yeah, and well, and so, but, so just remember that any any wrong. organization, I mean, especially if you're talking about like a cult or something, right? Human or human any any human organization um, is going to have just as many foibles and weaknesses as it has strengths, right? No matter how effective or smart you know you think they are i mean the united states department of defense is monumentally smart it's filled with money it's filled with people that spend their entire career doing training to do their their exact jobs you know and yet we still fuck up all the time right the, in the most important the missions of all is there for any kind of organizational enemy uh, you know the kgb brilliant and yet whose empire fell apart first right, right. You know, um, any of these organizations, the Tuggy, the the, uh, uh, the, har- the, the was it the Society of the Harmonious Fist, the boxers, you know, um, all these uh, groups have these uh, strengths. Um, their problem is, again, that they're made up of, you know, 99% Bonobos with a 1% difference, and, and they fuck up all the time. And, um, you know, uh, same is true for organized crime in this, in this country. There's a period where they look kind of invulnerable. And there's a point now where they kind of, at least the classic Sicilian organized crime looks like a bunch of buffoons yeah. compared to the new organized crime. That I mean, the, the FBI, as admirable as, as it is in a lot of ways and as expert as its, as its employees are, just in the last few years, it's, we, it's come out that their crime lab that's been much vaunted has spent 15 years fudging data. You know, yeah, well, and we're just starting science, to find out yeah, what the repercussions are going to be yeah. on that. You know, so there's there's no end of examples of of uh, organizations that sort of sell themselves or consider themselves to be hyper competent. You know, Being, pasting over the cracks, and so that's you know what you what you want to do is is sort of figure well, out where those cracks are and bring those into play. A little hubris never hurts an organization. Oh yeah, if they're really all that competent. Actually, a little hubris often hurts an organ- <laughs> organization <laughs> a lot. I think you missed the sarcasm there, but okay, let's keep moving. Yes, you know, nah, nah, nah. Rah, rah, rah. but you know, if they if they're really as good as they think they are then maybe they're eventually going to be not as good as they really think they are. They're just going to develop their own myths. I mean, I always think of that thing down in Panama uh, during the invasion. There was an incident where the the uh, SEALs got chewed up at the, this airport trying to take out a plane that was supposed to be Noriega's getaway plane. And they ended up getting in a firefight with those rinky-dink you know, half-soldiers from the Panamanian Defense Force where the SEALs were out on the runway and the Panamanians were behind sandbags. And rather than retreat when they were spotted and go, oh, we're in a bad position, they go, we're fucking SEALs. We're just going to do this. And the problem was that the Panamanians shot them to pieces 
with crew-fed weapons behind sandbags, and their reputation did not save them. So the idea perhaps that you, the Panamanians did not know they were. But yeah, there was also that, that also <laughs> helps a lot of times when you don't know the guys. That's you're the up problem against. with a secret operation. <laughs> you can't really send up a flare and oh. say these are the Navy SEALs attacking you, so you should surrender. <laughs> you should totally wilt. And um, so, um, there's, I mean, con- structurally, even before you get to the sort of human questions, uh, an organization that is powerful and competent might be uh, restricted by its desire to stay secret like Majestic 12 is. It might be riven uh, by like factional Del- like Delta Green is. Like um, uh, the like Delta Transcendence Green. were. <laughs> it might be um, really, really powerful, but locally. It's like, oh, wow, nothing can beat the blender. It's got a spinning blade of death. We just, every time we stick our hand in the blender, we get killed. <laughs> black, well, that's black, great. But black Cod Island. Exactly. So there's, so there's any number of things that you can have that become long-term challenges, but they have an, a larger outside constraint. Or if they're like a truly alien race, we don't know why they don't fight back and destroy us. It's like he says in Shadow of Rinsmith, if they was to rise, these millions of them, they could wipe us out. They just ain't a fixin' to yet. And the same thing with the Migo. They're just floating around mining things. And then when they're you know in danger of being exposed, they just take a guy's brain and they retreat from Vermont. They've been in Vermont for 130 million years, and one guy sends a letter that's mistyped, and they're like, whoop! Operation over. <laughs> Shit, man. Uh, Game oh, over. Yeah. I didn't know this place had floods. We gotta go. It's our only weakness. <laughs> so you can't judge. They're inscrutable. The Migos' response, or the Deep One's response, or the Shoggoths' response, if there are uh, 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 self-willed Shoggoths, or Loigor's response, by human concerns. Any more than you can say, well, I think the thermostat is mad at me. That's why it's warm in here. No, it's warm in here because of some other thing that you don't even... Uh, necessarily do because it wasn't your thermostat that you said. What I'd add to this so that we can all have said something um, <laughs> is... And also because it's worth saying. And also because it's worth saying. Uh, an attitude I take when I'm trying to come up with a, a cool antagonist organization is, you know, I keep in mind everyone is the hero of their own story. Especially if you're going with cultists. They have reasons for doing what they do. They have a purpose, a goal they're trying to to attain. Maybe it's evil, maybe it's twisted and warped, but it needs to be consistent. And it needs to be consistent even when it harms them. It can't just be consistent when it helps them. You know, Majestic 12 is secretive and that protects them. But they're also secretive and that constrains them from from doing a lot of things they otherwise might. Um... So they have to, uh, and, and these same attitudes and goals can be blinding to them. Uh, if you have, a, uh, there was a, a great short story, uh, I think it was Then Curse the Darkness, where yeah. the, the guys Drake. in the Belgian, David Drake's Then Curse the Darkness. In the ba- that's the one in the Belgian Congo, right? Yep. And so you have these characters who are investigators, and they're in the, in the Belgian Congo, uh, you know, going after this nihilistic cult of people who mutilate themselves in order for occult power to avenge themselves on their enemies. And you're like, man, what kind of... Cri- who would actually do that? And then you, it gets in the historical details of the Belgian Congo, and you're like, oh, okay, actually, if they'd done that to me and my sons and my wife and my dad and my mom... 
I might be willing to say, sure, you are Lathotep. I'll cut my hand off if you let me mess with these guys. So that's how we know Narlathop's not real because the Belgian, the the Congolese would have used him by now. Yeah, if he was real because holy crap, Europe was not kind to them to say the least. Yeah. yeah. Carl. Uh, a question there regarding organizations. Uh, you talk about the Majestic Twelve, but they're not around anymore, are they? Or are they? <laughs> Uh, sort of, it, you what, what, you what, tell me, what are you trying to say exactly? No, what I'm asking <laughs> is, is there a uh, government organization enemy in the new Delta Green? Yeah, yeah Delta, Delta Green. Green. Honestly, <laughs> in some ways, it's, it, it's called Delta Green. If yeah, I mean, the, the, yeah, it, it sort of, the, the Majestic kind of splintered, right? In the, the backstory, um, in, in the, the backstory is, is that, Delta Green kind of wormed its way into the Majestic group, and and we've taken over Majestic, right. and now we get to be exactly like them. Right, but only it was, good. But it was people. It was Delta Green people that were nowhere near at being Majestic as the Majestic leaders were. So even though the the situation was kind of ripe, that a lot of the Majestic leaders just went along with it and said, "All right, well, we can use this idiot as a cat's paw." Meanwhile, we're going to abscond with everything that we think is useful and valuable and go over here and not be under his supervision anymore. See, and the occupation of Iraq, comma, thought. <laughs> yeah. So, um, right. So the, so the Majestic 12 Special Studies Program is defunct. But uh, you know, it's not like every one of those scientists died all of a sudden, there. except for the they ones in Outlook that Forrest James decided he'd had fucking yeah. enough of. They didn't take everybody out and put them in a ditch, you right. know, like it was like it was some Stalin wrapping up some program he was unhappy with. Um, you know, people scattered and people took uh, what they could with them in order to make a buck. Yeah. So, uh, so uh, March Industries, for instance, and its kind of umbrella of of corporations was a great beneficiary of the uh, of Majestic falling apart. And, and Delta Green had to keep working with them so they could make sure they could yeah. send those guys back to the Eldridge three years ago. Uh-huh. <laughs> Maybe. And remember, Maybe. Um, just because there's nothing in the book or there's nothing in the book yet or there's nothing in the book specifically doesn't mean that your campaign can't have a, another directorate and that the Majestic 12 that Forrest James moved in on was the mm-hmm. one that they were set up to be moved in on. They were the guys, you know, taped to the dummy shotguns when the SWAT team busts right. in. Yeah. And, um, uh, you know, if you watch the Bourne trilogy, it's like, well, Treadstone is dead. Let me brief you on Blackbriar, which yeah. turns out to be Treadstone. Right. Um, now, compare the ingredients to Blackbriar. Uh, the, the question of, is there another uh, secret command that is doing terribly stupid and also terrible things in the government, you know, by now, it's actually strange credulity that there isn't one mm-hmm. if you just look at the sheer weight of classified programs in the government. Mm-hmm. There's a great book, which if you haven't read it, good lord, you should, called Top Secret America, mm-hmm. which talks about the fact that it is physically impossible for one civil servant to even know everything that is classified, much less the information that is classified. You can't even know the briefing paper that says, don't ask about this briefing paper unless you have such and such clearance. Uh, Because that briefing, when it's done for like the new Secretary of Defense and the Undersecretaries of Defense, it's like a frickin', you know, um, uh, uh, Ludovico treatment. It's just like a strobe light full of PowerPoint information. Mm -hmm. And they get people on record saying, yeah, sure, the first hour, two hours, they're paying attention. You slip something into hour six, 
Well, looks like the Assistant Secretary for the Defense just approved that program. It's almost as bad as an Apple EULA getting that briefing. Right. We and are. so the, the notion that if you love the old school Majestic 12 NRO Deltas and all, just go ahead and make another one, give it another cool name, and hide it away in the... And uh, those guys have Delta Green clearance. Right, in the Geodetic um, uh, Survey Department or whatever. And they've got, you know, as Greg says, they've got Delta Green clearance because that's the first thing that the new organization does is it disguises itself as a part of Delta Green that has clearance for other stuff but that you don't have clearance for. The, uh, the closest thing I can also think to of a, of a, of a specific government uh, antagonist might be uh, GRUSV8 because once upon a time when, we, when I wrote that, uh, you know, Russia was prostrate. They were absolutely crushed as a, as a political and economic force. And they were almost to be pitied. And the one thing Russians never want is your fucking pity. Um, what they want is your goddamn fear and respect. And uh, well, they seem to have bounced back slightly. That uh, and your fear and respect. respect yeah. Yeah. Three uh, things that they want. Your fear, your respect, the Ukraine, and the Baltic Probably States. Probably Crimea. Four things. Four things that they want. So, um, and to be allowed in the Olympics. That's yeah, right. No matter how much drugs well, that, you're coursing. That comes, that comes under respect. Um, so, Jerry uh, SV8, when it was around, the people who were in charge of that in 1999, uh, mm-hmm. when, uh, when Countdown came out, those folks are old and retired or, or dead, particularly considering the actuarial tables in Russia at the time. Um, the new people who were in charge of that organization, well, you know, uh, uh, let's just say that Vladimir Putin is interested in um, sort of... All kinds of astronomy. Yeah, yeah. all kinds of non-Euclidean uh, exercises of power, as it were, to uh, shortcut around having a drop in oil prices, for instance, you know. Um, I'm trying to remember the term that they use for the, 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 one of those ridiculous new brand names for the non-traditional warfare, like what they did in Ukraine, where it's like they gaslight you, they gaslight the world with, no, we're totally not invading. This isn't on our army. I don't know what you're talking about. They're not Russian troops. You know, um, I can't remember the phrase that's been used to describe that, uh, that kind of warfare, but <laughs> perhaps right. that big library of gear down in the, in the basement of the Kremlin or whatever has been broken out, and there are people going, yeah, sure, every other time we tried to deploy this, it blew up in our faces, just that. But I got a good feeling. But I got a good feeling about it this time. And oil is $40 a barrel, so, so we don't we have better, a second choice. We better do something fast, right? Uh, so they, they are going to be going, they have, they're going to end up going from being the sort of, uh, you know, uh, possible allies that they were back in the day to being uh, very troublesome uh, Work associates, possible well, competitors. Especially under Donald Trump's Delta Green, they'll be your well, best friends. Actually, under Donald, yes, if Donald, if Donald Trump is president, yes, then they'll actually be your. They'll be giving you orders. Yeah. <laughs> we'll have to retitle the the game probably. <laughs> Delta, Delta Gold. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Delta Gold is better. Yeah. Yes. Classy Lovecraftian role playing. Yes, sir. You got a hand up. Oh yeah, no. Yeah, there's certainly the option for, I mean, uh, the scenario... Can you whole, repeat the question? Okay, the, the question is, is not a question, it's an observation. And the observation was that... Um, aliens be weird. That aliens yeah. be weird and, and, and aliens often, be in constant conflict. Yeah. And the mythos is in constant conflict with each other, tearing at itself. So you can certainly have situations where, okay, uh, you're having a problem with the Migo and the brothers of the Yellow Sign show up from Kenyan and monkey wrench that plan right in the middle of it, you know, if they're being too powerful, or 
Um, the Agalanak and the Glacky cultists can be going at it uh, with each other. Um, <coughs> there's any number of ways that you can have the various. Let's let's haul the ghouls some fresh meat. See if uh, they'll they'll give us a hand. Yeah, ghouls. Yeah. They're all right. They're they're comprehensible. A lot of them used to be human. Um, so the idea that, that that because the mythos is in constant conflict, uh, it can, it's a way to make uh, perhaps a, a overpowered adversary. I mean, you know, uh, bring them bring them down a little bit. Um, you're you're not going to be king, but maybe you can be kingmaker, and that would be a very interesting way to to move your game. Is that you know, okay, we've come up against this unspeakable awfulness, and it is imminent. It is dark. It is inscrutable. We don't know what the hell's going on. But oh, hey, these guys do. They seem to have a grip on it. They seem to have tactics that work. You know that work against it. The only problem is they're evil. I mean, there's no there's no two ways about it. They're bad, awful people. All I'm saying, but they know what. But but they are the you know the Phillips head that can turn this particular screw. The the country that allied with Stalin to beat Hitler can certainly cut a deal with the Yithians to you know push back you know. And then it gets to you know well what's the price going to be? I mean if if you're talking to this you know freaky cult and they're like yeah we can we we understand your problem now that you've explained it. The good news is there is a solution and we can give you that solution. And the better news is, it's only going to cost... It's only going to cost that guy. You know, you just, you just give us Agent Dave there, and... What are you going to do? The sound of the gunshot echoing. <laughs> oh, no, no. We need him, we need him alive. Um, it's... Sound of the second what, gunshot. What do we want Agent Dave for? Don't worry about it. You're not... Don't worry about Agent Dave. Yeah, no. Worry about this problem that you have no other solution to except us. Don't even need Agent Dave. We just need, you know, access to your personnel files. Oh, but yeah. we'd really like to have Agent Dave. Well, he can, <laughs> he's dreamy. He's dreamy, but that's really more of a me thing. You've had your hand up a bunch of times. Yeah. Um, so this is going to be sort of a weird question, I guess. No. <laughs> Which is your favorite Sailor Scout? <laughs> um, What an indictment of our education system. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to say, when I graduated from college, I knew all about hand choppy up near Lothotep. You've applied yourself, son. (laughs) (laughs) Instead of getting outside in fresh air with attractive friends of... Anyway, (laughs) I'm done here. The kids kids in their Pokemon going places. Uh, Where do you go? Okay. The, the, I'm going to say the Wikipedia. Question, re, rephrase, rephrase, the rephrase the question. Where do I dip my ladle into that? Uh, into the uh, into the uh, uh, pot of uh, delicious history stew that's out there, and um, I got. I, I would I would say that there's a lot of value to be had. Cheap, easy value to be had. Just going down a rabbit hole at Wikipedia and just following one link after another after going another. Going down link, the pee you know, hole until you've. <laughs> Until you've uh, found yourself, you know, some weird little corner of, of history that I you can... I started with King Leopold, and yet here I am in behavior-changing brain parasites. Yeah, I mean, it, you... you was you, one link. You, uh, <laughs> right. I mean, what, what, you know, what should you read? There's, there's, there's not really any end to that answer yeah, as much as... Should, figure out you what, should figure read out what, what your, fascinates you. Figure out what, figure out what you want, what you... 
what what you've become interested in and interested in presenting and exploring in your game and and read yeah. that you know it's not, to, to it's focus not what you ought to so read. you could as a strategy you could certainly start with wikipedia i mean that's probably what all of us do start with wikipedia because it's there lazy writer's best friend yeah and and use that until you kind of hit up against things where you're like I wonder what the details were on that, and Wikipedia won't tell you. And as maybe much as I you should, maybe I should go to a reputable. As source. much as you try to click through to Google Books, and then you go through the book on Google Books, and yeah. that page is not being displayed, and then you have to actually find a book. Yeah, it's like there's sources you fool around with, like Wikipedia, and then there's sources you marry. Get you uh, a source that you can do both. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah. yeah. And if you look at that what's... That was the big Ken's library. <laughs> if, <laughs> yep. <laughs> if you look at what uh, Scott writes, there's a lot of this uh, you know, historical <coughs> basis and political uh, law enforcement aspects to it, because that's his bag and what, that's what he loves. If you look at what I read, it's go, or what I write, it's going to be a bunch of weird medical stuff and, uh, you know... Peculiar uh, brain things. Tell them about the maggots. <laughs> <laughs> they don't need to hear about the maggots just now. All right. Um, but it's because I'm I'm constantly looking for a book. I'm like, oh, hey, memoirs. I've retold that story to somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> Mem- memoirs of a brain surgeon. Let's skip ahead to the chapter about the worst thing she ever saw. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Is there a chapter for the thirst worst thing she ever saw? Yeah. <laughs> um, I was I wrote a, a scenario called Observer Effect that that's in revisions right now after playtesting, and um, it's about it's about a physics lab that's doing experiments and the experiments that I mean it's based on an actual physics lab that's doing this actual experiment and so I thought oh that's kind of weird and esoteric and and I wonder what that's about and so I did a little bit of reading and and looking into it and then eventually I cheated and contacted a a friend of mine who's a astrophysicist who um, who's plays Delta Green and and asked asked for his yeah and 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 asked asked for asked for his like you know what do you make of this and and he was like well everybody everybody I know thinks that guy's a crackpot and nothing's gonna happen with that and you know like, and I was like okay so, so help help me so so here's where I know and here's the weirdness that I have in mind for the player you know for for the player characters to sort of ex- experience being cracked open all over them. So how do I get from here to here, you know? And, it's like, oh, that's and, easy. Yeah, so so, uh, so there's always value in, in, in uh, finding people that are smart in the fields that, that you don't feel as, as comfortable in. Yeah, I was about the to ask. The good news is that uh, whether you're writing something that's going to be uh, for a scenario you're running in an hour, whether you're writing a 2,000-word column, whether you're writing a scenario that's going to be printed by a company, whether you're writing a whole source book, when you start looking for something, you always find it if you go deep enough into the historical weeds. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't, I think, even matter what it is you're looking for because we are hardwired to pattern match. That said, there are some weeds that are more bug-infested than others, so... I think you're going to find it easier to find um, uh, occult traces left in German political history than maybe 
in Australian political history, but if you start looking in Australian political history... I going to say, I, I bet the Australians you, could tell you for otherwise. For example, there's an Australian prime minister who walked into the ocean and disappeared. That seems like an excellent start right there. <laughs> <laughs> um, not that many presidents have walked into the ocean and disappeared, except for... Without a trace. You know, um, uh, Van Buren, I guess. But <laughs> the... The, the, the thing is that if you, like uh, like uh, uh, Greg said, you start with what you're interested in, what you're already willing to go into the weeds for, and if you just have a, a thing in your head and you think, I wonder if Yagalanak is behind whatever it is I'm interested in, and I don't know what that is, you know, uh, horse doping. You can go back and you can start looking up horse doping, and sure enough, you're like, man, that's weird that they described that one guy as having a hunched shoulder, but then no one ever, you know, in the picture he doesn't have a hunched shoulder, or you read about horse doping, you're like, that's odd that they take that blood from these other animals entirely, and then no one, they just stop doing that for something, or whatever it is. There's going to be some incongruous Funny piece how of he's data. always got gloves on, even yeah. when it's a really hot day. Yes, there's going to be some incongruous piece of data, now, because those horses are such uh, secret, the historical record is always incomplete. Um, and, for example, if you study the Kennedy assassination obsessively, not oh. that necessarily anyone here has, um, the what? It is possibly the Kennedy that's right. assassination. Yeah, uh, yeah, I know. Um, You've heard of it. You, you know the the suicide. Oh. <laughs> but um, the wasn't uh, he a senator? It's it's possibly the most um, single best documented five minutes in American history, <laughs> and no three sources agree. So or Jack already the Ripper. you're going to find um, uh, you're going to find any number of yeah. interstices. And instead of asking which of these is true, although you can if one of them obviously looks more mythos you can ask, how can these both be true? What can explain this? Oh, a time shift. That's what happened. Lee Harvey Oswald fell into a time rift. That's why his shots come at different uh, times on different recording devices. Or one of the recording devices must obviously have been tampered with by Majestic 12. Why are they covering up this guy and not this guy? Whatever it is, you are looking at an event, you find anomalies in the event because that's what, they always exist. You find patterns of the anomalies because that's how your brain works. And you can train yourself to start smelling out anomalies that are more Cthulhu-y or more vampire-y or more Majestic 12-y than just sort of, ah, that's odd. I guess no one liked the corned beef that day, which, you know. Whatever. Well, really, that is, that is the cornerstone of the entire conspiracy. <laughs> well, who doesn't Just love corned beef? Don't lose your actual grip on actual reality, and yeah. you'll be fine. <laughs> but, the first, my my initial reaction to you know why haven't I discovered all these things? I'm looking over at you. I'm like, how old are you? He and said he just graduated yeah, from college. Yeah, and then he said he just graduated yeah, our, from college. Our like, knees hurt. Okay. What, 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 you, what you need to, what you you need to do is obsessively reading this yeah. stuff. What you need to do is be it's, in your mid to late 40s. <laughs> <laughs> Ideally have had no real friends or outside interests. That would help. A very limited number of sexual partners. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hope we're helping. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, each four of you, uh, what's your favorite slash most effective way that you found to uh, cause fear in your players during the game? Ooh. You're on the right. Go okay. for it. Um, I don't know. If Repeat this the question. Is, oh, oh well, I'm Mike. sorry. What is the, uh, what is your favorite way to cause fear in your players during the game? And I'm going to say. Cause, but, uh, you, want, you want it the players or in the characters or the way it overlaps for both? Yeah. Probably overlaps. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You could always just be creepy. Yeah. And, yeah. Know, yeah. Right. Um, yeah. The way to provide the nervousness in players that translates to fear action by their characters 
there's a lot of different ways, and one of my absolute favorites that always causes unease, which begin, which is the, the beginning of all victory, is have someone in the setting who is genuinely evil approach the player characters and say, well, that was an effective bit of business. Let's partner up. And mean it. He doesn't even have to be like, ha-ha, I'm the shadowy Mr. Johnson. I'll send you into the skyscraper and then betray you. He's like, no. You obviously are the kind of go-ahead, get-things-done, cut-corners guys that I like to have in the U.S. federal government. Mm-hmm. What's it going to take? What can, what can put you in the driver's seat of this brand-new Eldorado? Uh, and players who are used to thinking in binary terms are like, but he's the bad guy. Why does Darth Vader want my help? <laughs> what did I do? What is Darth Vader doing? And that's the unease. That's the moment. I keep they're... thinking of Richelieu handing uh, D'Artagnan the commission. Yeah. Exactly. Well, you yeah, defeated no. my plans. Want a job? Want a job? Yeah. <laughs> the uh, the Wolfram and Hart effect. Yeah. Right, from yeah. Angel. Yeah. And so, um, uh, well, let's stick with D'Artagnan. <laughs> um, but, but that, I find, causes a great deal of unease. And then if they accept, well, you've got a story. <laughs> um, great. You, you for... You, you were really cool frosting all those deep ones. Here's this kindergarten that's going to be a real pain in the ass yes. to me. I'm going to just give you a vision of what those kids are going to turn into in 22 years. Well, one yeah. of them, but to be yeah. sure, you, but, you probably you know, take it might care be of contagious. We don't know. <laughs> yeah, my, my my favorite my favorite thing personally is um, is making the characters that the people that the players are interacting with, especially the bad ones. Um, humanizing them and doing my best as a game master to kind of get into the head of that character and portraying that character's actions and justifications as entirely reasonable from that character's perspective and then making sure that players see that and become to sympathize with and it's it's pretty well related uh, come to sympathize I had uh, there was a um, there was a I, I ran a I ran a game of uh, of a Delta Green scenario called the New Age, which was in the original Delta Green book way back when. And in part of it, the players, the player characters go to um, go to this uh, this this big cult compound, right? And they're they're having to talk to people and figure out exactly how culty is this cult compound. And the answer is pretty culty, and. Um, Oh, it's five culty. It's it's medium yeah, culty at first. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And uh, so, but but uh, but my favorite part of that was was before it things really went haywire. My favorite part was a quieter moment along the way where I was portraying the kind of the 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 guides, right? The PR people who had come out to escort the characters around, and I was giving them their perspective on belonging to this organization and why they the thought it was neat. Right? Yeah, yeah. And why they thought it was valuable and the value they got out of it out of it. You know, and I did my best to really try to sell it from the and, and one of and the and a couple of the players after a few minutes were like like literally one of the players said, geez, I'm thinking of joining this group. <laughs> you know? And that was great. I loved that. Because as soon as as soon as you can get get to anywhere near that vicinity where the players are kind of identifying with the you know with the villains in some way then um i I love that sort of that disconnect you're sort of setting them a little bit adrift from their certainty of what they were trying to do well my technique is a lot less uh is a lot more concrete 
and that's time pressure. Um, I, in, in my fiction as well as in my game writing, I love bad decisions. Uh, you know, I, I don't think anyone enjoys novels about sensible people making the smart choice. You know, you want to hear about the guy, you want to, you want Emma Bo, Emma Bovary would not be very interesting if she never cheated on her husband. Uh, so, in order for ha- Happy Home Life. A story with no trains in it. <laughs> yes. So, Except how do you make your players make bad decisions? Well, you can't. You can't make your players do anything. But first, you, are they players at a table? But you can put them under pressure, and so I like time pressure. And it's, and so I write scenarios where you are under time pressure. It's uh, the one I ran earlier today. It's like, okay, you know. You've got you. You've got to go investigate this infection. Go get on the plane. Are you going to fly? Okay, it's going to take you two hours to fly around that thunderstorm, or you can just fly through it. What are you going to do? Okay, you're not going to consult with them. Nah, they don't know how to fly planes. All right, you're in the thunderstorm. The rest of you, are you just ducking and covering, or are you trying to get some work done? Oh, unsecured luggage. Ow. And then you know, once they're there, it's like That's okay, the greatest terror of all. <laughs> no, it's just we're ramping up. Okay. It's you know, okay, you're there. You better get to work. Little girls are have a really bad fever. No one can tell what this is. It's not responding to these drugs. It's, you know, the cooling blanket is kind of keeping them steady. Uh, so, do you want to help these little girls, or do you want to learn from these little girls? Because the things that are going to help them are going to keep you from learning anything more about the illness. And as you're doing this. The doctor who admitted them falls over, and you know you've got to get uh, you know you're figuring out how long the onset on this is, and you're like, okay, so how far could it have traveled from its point of origin? Oh, hey, this guy worked at the counter of a Dunkin' Donuts. Let's get the names of everyone who bought a cup of coffee while he was at work. And so at some point, you're like, okay. You have to now choose between, you know, what are you going to put your efforts and attention to? Is it going to be, let's get this cor- the, uh, the quarantine really nice and tight? Or is it going to be, let's try and save these, hor- these girls who have just popped 102 fever and are screaming about how bad their heads hurt? Which do you want to do? Oh, because you flew through the storm, you can try both, but one of them is going to be penalized. And because I was keeping them pressurized... The fact that they uh, that they did pull it out really helped and really made them feel competent. So then, in the second half of the game, where they're you know where they're tidying up the one little loose end, which is oh, where did patient zero come from anyway? And suddenly, it's no longer a medical procedural, and they're just stumbling around with flashlights trying to figure out what the what's the source on this. That was genuinely scary because it's like, okay, how much air have you got left in your rackle suit? Okay. How, how long do you think it'll take you to get up those stairs if you overload that? Okay. And so when you're like, okay, tell me what you're doing now, 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 and don't give them time to really suss it out, then they'll give you something where they're like, oh, yeah, uh, I guess I'll just drive my car through the fence. <laughs> yeah, pa- pa- pacing is <clears throat> just to amplify that pacing is 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 a pretty big deal. Um, players, it, th- th- this is a game that thrives on mood and on tension, and um, players often 
tend to react to that by trying to defuse it by taking lots of time to plan and compare notes and think yep. and think and think and argue and you, you your job is to to sort of keep a lid on that because that can really interfere with the the tension that you're struggling to create. You, and at, at you the same compress that because sure in real life it takes days or hours to plan or, you know a, sitting around a table just to thrash out a simple tactical mm-hmm. uh, pre-planned operation but you've got to compress that so that they feel the pressure so that they feel the anxiety <coughs> at the same time you can't keep it at a hundred percent all the time yeah so you need to give them especially when you want them to come up with a good plan and you know and and have one of those moments of competence then you that's uh, that's when you want to say okay I'm going to the bathroom when I come back have your plan ready Scott, your favorite? Um, sadly, there's a lot of stuff that's already been said um, ah. here. <laughs> uh, but as a slight caveat to that, I would suggest um, uh, in the same way that we're talking about, uh, you know, the clear bad guys are reasonable, uh, or worse, the clear bad guys are um, sympathetic. Sympathetic. Uh, I would go not just the possibility that they're correct, but the possibility that you're wrong. Uh, making the players doubt their mission or doubt their uh, their side's agenda um, would be, in a, particularly in a Delta Green game. And a Call of Cthulhu game it would be a little bit differently because there's not this sort of organizational politics and organizational culture, and, and you are part of something bigger than yourself uh, being in a Delta Green game. But the things that are going to make them doubt whether or not ACEL really has their back or that the program, uh, program's agenda is, is trustworthy. I mean, what happened to that statue? Where is it? Uh, who's looking at it now? Top men. Mm-hmm. So, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they're just, because, just because they're selling you that the answer is wholesale murder, uh, you're a human being. You need yeah. to decide for yourself, and you're the one that's going to take that hit Being on your told, sanity. Um, and again, I, I, what am I supposed to do? You're supposed to take care of it. Right. Click. Yeah, that was old time. <laughs> there have been a number of calls from Eight Cell oh, yeah. that ended like that when I was a player, yeah. uh, not just as a game master. And um, that idea of, of, of feeling doubt about the mission, uh, about suddenly not being that sort of focused uh, crusader, Who's absolutely po- you know, the, the, who's absolutely positive about what he's doing? I mean, there's always that sort of I don't know trope that uh, you know doubt or is is one of those things that comes up when uh, you can actually see all sides of an issue. The smarter you are, the more you can analyze it. You know, it's sort of that part of that Dunning Kruger thing that the people with the least doubt have the least actual uh, understanding. Of and, what's going on. And Dunning and Kruger were certain of that finding. Yes, they were. <laughs> Absolutely positive. Um, thus proving their point. Uh, so, you know, that idea that uh, the more you doubt, maybe the more you know, the less you know, the more certain you are in that kind of situation. Um, as the players learn more and more about the world they're operating in, with that creeps in doubt about what they are, who they're really working for. Uh, I hope I delivered some of that to you guys in the um, in the scenario. Yeah, uh, it's, it's not hard to think up a, you know, okay, the mission is you need to go to this lab and burn everything. And, you know, oh, hey, well, that's surprisingly straightforward and direct. 
And, you know, you throw some obstacles in their way, but they get in there and they burn everything. And then, you know, a few months later, it's like, wait, wait, wait. That lab had the cure for cancer in it? Well, technically, yes, but there was a lot of bad baggage with it. Yeah, but it cured cancer. Okay, yes, you, I think you're getting too focused on the cure for cancer here. <laughs> and with, you know, with bonds, it's like, yep, it could have cured my dad's cancer. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. What, what he had? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that. If, if he had had lymphoma, I mean, go either way. But no, with your dad's stuff, nailed it. I mean, I think, I think that was one of the test subjects had that same thing. One last hand, one, two more hands. How many more hands we got? We don't you, have that many ahead. minutes. Uh, hold on, hold on. You know what, Gil, did you have Gil a question? You had a question up. earlier, and I totally... I it was mainly to pontificate and share my incredible knowledge to the gentleman over there. <laughs> oh, yeah? So, All right. But, you want to do it? Go for it. No, no. Well, <laughs> pirate, pirate Bay, you can get about 100 to 200 PDFs of manuals you shouldn't read because you don't want to end up on a watch list. So everything about burglary, silent killing, improvised explosives, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. The end of that, every Wikipedia article is a bibliography. Yeah, mm-hmm. hit that. Yep. Go to Amazon. Get them if they're like a hundred dollar book. That's the only book on the Office of Naval Intelligence in the nineteen hundreds. Don't buy it. Into library, loan it. Um, read the first paragraph and the last paragraph of every chapter. That's how you get an undergrad history degree without reading a tons of pages. <laughs> wow. Um, wow. Yeah. And That's buy truth. game books. Not to pimp Ken Heights books, but buy other espionage RPGs because what you're dealing with is other gamers who are mm-hmm. going to read most of the other espionage RPGs, watch all the Jason Bourne movies, look at the, the bestseller on Amazon for espionage books, read that. And once you know what your players know, just get a little bit more so you can bullshit them thinking that you know more. All right. Well done, guys. You guys repeat that for the recorder. Repeat that being Amen. Our advice is for you to go back in time so you could hear what was just said. Yeah. All right, what, what do we have? Yeah. Um, what kind of tactics or, uh, do you use to keep the narrative moving along and like keep things punchy without taking away player agent. Yeah, it, I mean it's it's kind of it's kind was, of a da- oh yeah. How the do question you, was yeah. how do you keep things moving along, at, prevent things from bogging down without robbing your players of their agency yeah. and making them feel like you're just pushing them around. Part of it, uh, what I've found is really useful is it's just pushing them around and not worrying. Yeah. <laughs> that is a good answer. Uh, My answer was going to be split up the party. And so if you've got this guy doing this and this guy doing that and this woman doing this third thing, then you can, okay, I'm dealing with you. Okay, you're doing something that's going to take all day. You're doing this other thing. Okay. Oh, hey, yeah, you're really in a hairy spot. You're really, yeah, the the door's about to burst down. How are you getting? You know what? Let's come back to you. And then you let them twist in the wind for a bit. Uh, ratcheting up their tension and ratcheting up the tension of these two who don't know what's happening to their poor buddy before you go back to him. And if he's come up with a brilliant plan because it's the first half of the game where you permit that sort of thing before everyone's gotten punchy, then he looks like a champ. And if it's the second half of the game where everyone's a little tired and the caffeine is has worn off and he just 
you know, does something reckless, rash, and stupid, well, that, that's a lot more fun in the second half of the game. So, yeah, switch it around. Certainly the, the time factor you mentioned before. Uh, that is to say, if the players know that there is a countdown clock in a scenario, that will prevent a certain amount of dawdling. Um, you're, you, when I, one of the points of, of, of cold dead hand was you've got to get into the silo and turn off the dead hand system before it launches the missiles. And you just have a countdown clock. And, you know, at that point, uh, I would hope that you wouldn't have to corral them too much about getting lost on side things, knowing that there is an actual ticking time bomb. I think, I think we laid out an, an actual physical handout of a little yeah. clock de- de- design that you could, that you could track. So, so well, something like that, like just knowing that there's, you know, we need to get this sorted out before the, the next, you know, uh, uh, Piece of the space shuttle is launched, or piece of the piece of the space station, or, or is launched. Like there's a, uh, you know, a a, a, a lab component that's going to be shot up to the International Space Station, and we need to fix whatever problem is related to that, or before it's fired up on the new booster. You know, you have a an actual deadline to to beat. Well, um, and also, I find that if you've given them a little bit of time to discuss things. And it's start, if you're starting to get bored with listening to their harebrained schemes and you say, okay, so are you going to do X? Or if you say, okay, are you going to do X or Y? Those seem to be the two ways you're going. Uh, usually, they'll shit or get off the pot. They will come down on a decision because they have figured out that if the GM is asking me for this... That means that I've got something he can work with. Yeah, in my experience, usually not to push too hard. I mean, if, if the players are there to play to play Delta Green, right, or, or Call of Cthulhu, you know, they're there to play a horror game, and they they, they know when they're stalling, you know. So <laughs> you you can you, it doesn't you usually don't have to push too hard to say, okay, come on, what are you? you could just we're wasting enough time here. What are you guy, doing? You can always do the Chandler thing and just have a guy kick the door in, yeah. you know, with a gun. Not, yeah. I would say operant conditioning. Don't reward them for over-preparing and don't punish them for under-preparing. Hmm. It's like, you know, oh, we didn't list all the clips of ammo we brought. You brought enough fucking ammo. You're the government. <laughs> <laughs> You're professional. Yeah. No, no, don't worry. We've made sure that every exit is covered. Well, while you were doing that, the plague virus, uh, well, it's got feet. Let's just put it that way. It's a virus with feet um, because you dicked around and didn't do anything. Keep dicking around, it's going to invent yes. shoes. But don't worry, that is one secure barricade. Nothing is going out of those doors. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm you, not, I'm not you know. convinced yeah. the government brings enough ammo. You remember what happened in Miami with those FBI agents? Uh, yeah, they've, this, they've, they've learned since right, then. They've learned since then. This, uh. this is a game, Scott. Oh, I see. <laughs> it's a pretend game. <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, any other questions? Uh, I actually had a question uh, kind of going off what Shane was saying about how players naturally try to de-escalate because they want to create that comfort. Mm-hmm. Um, so my question, you know, because you always game master building tension, and tension is not just uncomfortable like to the characters, but also sometimes to the players. They mm-hmm. want to create that comfort of de-escalation. Do you ever, like, let that be a de-escalation be a reward? Like, players have done certain things. You're like, okay, okay. 
both in-game and out-game, I'm going to give you a little breathing room now. You know, yeah, take the next like 10, 15 minutes, try to figure it out. You, you made some choices. Maybe they sure. were the right choices, maybe they were the wrong choices. But you made hard like choices that created interesting things. Mm -hmm. Here's a reward. Here's a little breather before I start like ratcheting it up. Yeah, I mean, if it, if it makes sense, you know, you, I mean, and, and some, of, some of that is, is the kind of thing that you learn a lot more just by experience, honestly. Or than, by riding two roller coasters or watching one slasher film. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, right, right. <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely. So, so I mean, you, if, 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 the players, if the players are stalling, right, and they're, they're clearly just sort of arguing and, and, and uh, and not proceed not proceeding anywhere, then you need to get them going somewhere. You need to start pushing the pitchfork. But if they've if they've overcome or experienced or been victimized by some horrible crisis and threat, you want to let that it's, sink in. Yeah, yeah. Give it a, give it a moment to kind of Besides, drop. Besides, let, letting them de-escalate sure. the situation and establish some moment of calm. That is exactly when you kick the door in. Um, that should be the, maybe that's the reward. Uh, if you're feeling particularly sadistic, is that they found their they found their their happy place? Then you should set their happy place on fire. <laughs> uh, whereas, what my reaction would be if they found their happy place, I now have to threaten it so mm -hmm. that they can you know, take extreme measures to defend it, or decide <laughs> that okay, you know what? This is fine. This is fine. This is fine. I can say this is fine. <laughs> this is my happy place, and I will defend it till I die. You know, Big Steve's coming. Well, it was a great happy place, but I'll always have my fond memories of it. We'll always have Big Steve's curse. coming with the memory erasing device. Yeah. God damn it! Yeah. No, I was I was being glib, but the roller coaster's the model. You know, it's a slow climb. It's a, a, a thirty-five seconds of pure dread. Then it's a rapid fall. Then there's a brief moment of, well, at least the rapid fall is over. Now we're, oh, I heard the clank, clank, clank. We're back on slow climb again. And that's the entire thing, and it always works because it's biochemical. You don't have to do it. The only thing you have to adjust is the length of the slow climb. You're trying to get that to be as short as you can while still being a slow climb. You want to extend the moment of dread, and you want to steepen the drop. That's, that's everything. It's like, well, that last drop wasn't steep enough. I'll steepen it up again. That slow climb was a little too slow. I'll speed it up a notch. That dread lasted really well. I'll do that again. And once you've got that mechanical pattern down, then's the time to vary it with your double axles and your whatnots and your fancy loopy back things and your Greg Stoltzies. But <laughs> if you can run a reliable roller coaster scenario, you can run a horror scenario. It's not rocket science, it's just a matter of learning the rhythms of your game group at the game table. Yeah. And, you know, yes, players, if they, um, uh, even if they signed up for World's Scariest Roller Coaster, when the bar comes down, clang, strap yourself into the ride, they'll be like, nope, 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 forgot the gun. Ah, no, I forgot the magnetometer. Oh, can't get on. <laughs> Whoa! And it's your job just to make sure that in the universe, there's a reason for that clank, clank, clank to have started up. Mm -hmm. We're um, we're a few minutes over our scheduled time. Of course, we started late, so so you know I think that's justifiable. Well, um, are we supposed to get tickets for this? So yes. if, if there's tickets, yeah, yeah. So up. please, 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 if you've got tickets, bring them up. And if we have any last questions, anything you wanna you wanna discuss. Um, uh, shout them out or, or raise Post your hand or something and we'll address yeah. them. Or. Favorite sailor, sailor scout. 
I, I believe we're repeating the question. Who is <laughs> your favorite your favorite sailor scout? Right. Yeah, that's that's the Mars, Mars, Jupiter, Mars. <laughs> Which go. one's the dishy brunette? <laughs> They're all Thank you for coming everybody.